Hey, Nick. Jules, good to talk to you. Uh, been too long, mate. You well? I'm very well, yeah. It's been... Uh, it's been a hell of a tournament so far, and I think we've got uh, potentially a, a classic final in store next weekend with um, with South Africa and and the All Blacks, two of uh, two of the Southern Hemisphere's best. So yeah, looking forward to that. It's been a good tournament overall, and you know probably the less said about the Wallabies, the better. And we've, we've spoken many words about them, of course, but you know they had it all to do, didn't they? The Springboks they trailed nine three after about half an hour, or they're trailing fifteen six after sixty seven minutes. But there was always a sense, I think, that you know with a power game, that the longer it went on, that they'd just find a way to get back into it. Well, they they know how to at this end of the tournament. Don't they? The three time world champions and the defending champions. Uh, very clever game plan though by England. Um, I mean, no, nobody really. A lot of people thinking, what are England doing in the semi-finals? You know, they've, they've had uh, a pretty ordinary couple of years. Steve Borthwick um, taking over from Eddie Jones, and you know he, he sort of had them moving in the right direction. But no one sort of thought that they could be knocking on the door of a World Cup final. So just to make the semi-final was was pretty good from England. But they came with this game plan that um, they, they just didn't give South Africa anything. Competed well at the breakdown, great kicking game. And they almost sort of South Af- out South Africa, South Africa in terms of the way they, they played the game. But you're right, um, South Africa, there was never, there was a little bit more than a try in it um, after a, a drop goal from Owen Farrell put a bit of a stretch on it. I think it was nine points. But um, you, just, you just felt that there was always the threat from South Africa. And what they did, they brought on experience. They had a stacked bench, and uh, Brassi Erasmus, uh, sorry, um, Jacques Nineba with Brassi Erasmus as, um, as coaching coordinator, uh, he, they emptied the bench after 50 minutes. Mm. They had, had no subs left. And, um, and that really made a big difference in the game. Andre Pollard was awesome. Uh, his kicking game, Fasta Clerk, uh, Ox Enche, uh, the, the prop, he uh, forced a, a really crucial scrum penalty towards the end. So, yeah, real massive influence from the bench. But gee, it was uh, it was close. It was it was one for the purists, I think, um, <laughs> with just the one try. But yeah. but in terms of a contest, it was outstanding. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that that coaching duo. Uh, you know, that's this was the change. Uh, you, you're right. They emptied the bench pretty early. It was after half an hour, and you know, Andre Pollard came on for for Manny Libok and I don't think it was either I don't think it was in the original squad I thought I read somewhere Nick and it sort of didn't make an immediate difference but at the back end of the game and, and what it said to me is that this is a side you know now going for their I think their fourth World Cup but it, it, they just don't panic do they South Africa? No um, and, and you're right um, Andre Pollard wasn't in the squad um, Marnie Leboc was the man and you know he is this next generation of playmaker probably adds a bit more uh, creativity around the park, but in terms of controlling the game and uh, and and his kicking game and actually kicking at goal, um, Andre Pollard is probably the more accomplished player. But he had a uh, a knee injury, I think it was, so he'd only played a handful of minutes um, in his comeback match for his club side in England, and then Malcolm Marks got injured, and so a hooker goes out. And I think they realised that they maybe needed an Andre Pollard at the back end of the tournament. And it's proven to be the case. It was a, a masterstroke from that, that coaching duo. And he slotted, uh, so they, they were awarded a scrum penalty late, and he 
slotted the goal from about 48 metres on a slight angle, mm. but in really heavy, wet conditions, and it just sailed over. I think it might have even gone dead in the end. So um, soaked up the pressure and just stepped up, and in a big moment, uh, a big player did the job. But, yeah, they, there is something about South Africa, um, and you're right, they are going for... Well, both teams in next week's final will be shooting for a fourth... World Cup title, both will be the first, either will be the first to do that. Um, but I think particularly South Africa just know their game so well um, and they understand their game and, and they're so clear in what they're wanting to do. And you're right, there was there was always a sense that, uh, that they had something to give late in that game this morning. Yeah, I think the conditions too probably dictated how the game was played, it, how these guys kicked with such accuracy from long distance is just incredible, isn't it? Absolutely remarkable. Now to the All Blacks, a very one-sided semi-final. You know, I think they were probably the... The Romantics were hoping for an Argentina victory. It was never eventuating. Uh, think about the All Blacks, and this is a side at the moment, Nick, that just look to be peaking at the right time, don't they, under, well, what could be Ian Foster Swanson? Well, that in itself is a really... It's a good story, and it's an interesting story. Mm. I mean, there aren't many... Uh, teams in the world that can choose before a, a tournament such as this, you know, the pinnacle of the game. And they announced just a few months ago that uh, Ian Foster is out. Um, they actually just, they decided that they would go through a process and invite him to reapply for his job. This came after a pretty ordinary, by all black standard, pretty ordinary 2022. Uh, Scott Robertson waiting in the wings, uh, the, the guy who's won, what is it now, five, I'm trying to think, four or five titles with mm. uh, with the Crusaders in, in Super Rugby. And so they invited uh, Ian Foster to reapply for his job. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not, not interested in doing that. You want me or you don't. So they announced uh, before the World Cup that there would be a change of coach. Scott Robertson coming in. He's actually been in France sort of scouting opposition for when he takes over. He hasn't been going to All Blacks games because he didn't want to be a disrupting influence. But what they've done, rather than fracture, they've actually uh, sort of... It's brought them together, almost galvanised this Springboks, uh, this um, All Blacks team. And you are right, absolutely right. They are peaking at the right time. They lost their first game of the tournament against France. And since then, they have moved through the gears. And when they arrived at the semi-final um, on yesterday morning uh, against Argentina, they were... I was going to say rock solid. They were more than rock solid. They were awesome. Um, back to the All Blacks best, which Australia has come to know and mm. I would say fear so much over recent years. But, yeah, just so impressive. Everything clicked. And they've got it all. Uh, they can they can take teams on physically. And then when the game opens up, you know, Will Jordan with, with three tries yesterday, he's now got eight tries for the tournament. If he scores a try in the final, he'll be uh, the highest try scorer in a single tournament in history. There's a lot going right for the All Blacks at the moment. Well, Ian Foster certainly hasn't lost the dressing room. and it, This is the thing now. Robinson comes in. Well, there's really only one way to go, which is down. I mean, they've got the World Cup. and Anyway, Will Jordan, you mentioned that. He scored the opening try. That was his 29th in 30 tests. Uh, quite remarkable. But what I like about him and Geordie Barrett, you know, just from league perspective, they talk about the success of the Panthers and how their back three do so much so much of the work. I mean, those two guys in particular are, are adept at just taking the load off the forwards when they need to. They really do. Um, that's right. They, they carry well as being, um, as well as being, you know, terrific when it opens up a bit. Um, I, I don't think we talk enough about Geordie Barrett. We've, we've obviously spoken about 
um, Bowden Barrett over the years, mm. and, and he is off to Japan after this World Cup. But but Geordie Barrett, the, the three Barrett brothers, Scott, of course, uh, in the forwards, but Geordie Barrett's a big human. You stand next to Geordie. I'm, I'm six foot three, and he's probably got me. So he's, he's six foot four, right? And he'd be oh, probably 100 kilos, something like that, probably a bit more. Um, and and in terms of defensively, we've seen a couple of huge moments from him. In fact, they're probably playing in a semi-final yesterday morning because of a moment last weekend where uh, he holds up the player over the line and prevents him from scoring a try, a match-winning moment. So his influence on both sides of the ball is is massive, and he's a really important player for New Zealand. But they've got a lot of... You know, Sam Kane, the skipper, yesterday morning... Yeah, I think he's probably underrated. What was um, Peter Omani said to him last year in in New Zealand? Um, you, you, you're just a you're a crap Richie McCaw. Well, he, he proved yesterday <laughs> that he's a bit more than a crap Richie McCaw. He was uh, he was awesome in that semi final against Argentina. So um, you know they've got all these players, and and it's obviously it doesn't happen by chance when you find a group of players peaking as one at the right moment of the tournament. And you have to give credit. You know, there's, there's sports psychs involved in that. There's um, S&C involved in that. Uh, and the overall coaching structure involved in that. There's a lot of credit to be given for, uh, or rather to, Ian Foster and his team. Crap, Richie McCaw, still a pretty good player, uh, given the lofty stance <laughs> which he represented the game. You know, arguably the greatest ever All Black. Uh, you mentioned there, we talk about Jordan and, and Geordie Barrett. He sort of bashed through, uh, I think, for for his second try. Gee, Richie, my uncle was great in getting those guys in the game too. And, you know, the experience and the silkiness of those two halves, him and, and Aaron Smith in particular, got to be vital. Yep, uh, probably the best halves combination in the world. There, there's a bit of, you know, you talk about, uh, with league teams and AFL teams about premiership windows, right? And it probably feels a little bit like that with New Zealand at the moment. You've got Sam Whitelock heading off to France afterwards. You know, this will be, the final will be his 153rd test, I think, the most capped all black of all time. Aaron Smith heading off to Japan. Bowden Barrett heading off to Japan. Um, Lester Fangaranuku, who's been in and out of the starting side throughout this World Cup at the ripe old age, I think, of 23. He's heading off to France next year. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go again. They'll, they'll reload and go again with um, the depth that they've got in New Zealand. But there's just this feeling that this is, this is their time. Um, this is a, a moment in time for New Zealand. So many good players. But you are right, Aaron Smith and, and Richard Longer. He's just, you know, you can't, you can't say enough about the guy. And, and then you've got... Uh, you got a guy like um, you know Damien McKenzie who is is sitting on the bench, um, you know, looking for his crack at things. You know, he's he's probably going to be uh, a world class ten given his opportunity as well. Although some say that uh, they prefer him at fifteen, but uh, they've got they've got versatility, uh, they've got depth, and with both of these teams actually, they've got most of their best players uh, fit and fresh because there is that they were. Well, with South Africa today, they were looking for a, a difference off the bench early. So, as we talked about, their bench was emptied, you know, from the 40 to 50 minute mark. So, a lot of their starters are are coming off really only a half of football or just over for next weekend's final. And and New Zealand had the luxury because they were winning by so much against Argentina that they had the the luxury of of unloading their bench as well. So, a lot of yeah, their yeah. Uh, starters starters got to freshen up. So. Um, next week is all set for an absolute um, blockbuster between two quality teams, and it should be said, 
two Southern Hemisphere teams, which goes against all the predictions uh, heading into this World Cup. Yeah, was it Clive Woodward? Is it? Oh, this is you know, and, and some of them tried to claim South Africa as a Northern Hemisphere team because of domestically <laughs> where they play. That, that's a bit of a stretch, but you know, think about the All Blacks. What thirty something, thirty forty phases they had to withstand Ireland, so that, that'll stand him a good stead. Just just very quickly before we let you go, a word on the ranking system. You know, we talked about uh, the, the high-quality quarterfinals. It didn't quite live up to that standard in the semis. Uh, do they need to fix that up and not rank them so far out? Yeah, and I think... Well, they, yes, yes, they do. Um, it's a couple of years, isn't it? And that's why these things uh, change so much. I mean, the pool of death this year, we had uh, three of the top um, five teams in the world heading into the tournament in that one pool uh, with with Scotland ranked five. Now, Scotland didn't make it through to the quarterfinals, so they missed out there. But this happens because when that when that draw was made, I think Scotland was ranked, you know, I can't remember, seventh or ninth, but anyway, they weren't seeded so that they, they get then stuck in as the third ranked team in one of those pools. So, um, yes, it does have, have to happen closer to the tournament. I think the indications are that... I don't know when they've announced that, they're, that they will make the draw or, or at least, at the very least, they'll look at it. But I, I think there was an indication that they would do the draw closer yeah. to the time next year to try and even things up. But, yeah, it was ridiculous. I mean, really, the form lines suggested... And congratulations to England you know, this morning when we saw what they could come up with. And, and likewise, Argentina uh, yesterday. But really... It should have been, the four semi-finalists should have been South Africa, New Zealand, uh, Ireland and France, France because yeah. they were out and out the best uh, four teams Clearly. in the world. Uh, Michael Checker, done a wonderful job with Argentina. There was a bridge too far against New Zealand, granted. Can, can you foresee a time where Checker's back and involved in Australian rugby again at some level mm-hmm. or in some way, shape or form? I know that he would like to be. Yeah. Um, he's he's indicated to uh, those. My understanding is he's indicated to those closest to him that that he would never ever rule it out, and uh, and he would see it happening. It's a it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like at the moment, you look around and you think, okay, well, um, let's say Eddie Jones chooks off to Japan, and and um, I have I can't get a handle on what's happening there because mm-hmm. Eddie says that he's not talking to them, insists, swears black and blue that he's not talking to them. (laughs) Uh, Whereas I also know that Tom Deason, uh, who is the Sydney Morning Herald journal who originally wrote that story, uh, is he he has said that he has never been more sure Mm. of a story in his career. He's lined up um, enough sources to, to reckon he's spot on. So I, I cannot get a handle on what's happening there. But, but be that as it may, let, let's assume for a moment that Eddie Jones either goes to Japan or decides that he wants to, to step away. Then who is there? You know, there's Dan McKellar, who's yeah. gone off to the Premiership in England, um, probably by his own admission, not ready yet. Uh, is, does Stephen Larkham step back into the equation? He'd have to be in the conversation. But I tell you what, I reckon Michael Checker needs to be in the conversation as well. And I didn't think that I would ever find myself saying that because um, by the time he left after the 2019 World Cup, he was, and he would admit too, he was on the nose. And mm. and, um, and and a lot of people thought that um, he, he was doing better for Australian rugby by going than staying. Um, but he also admits that he's changed. You know, as a as a bloke, he's changed, and as a coach, he learned a bit through that process. So, um, yeah, I would I would never say never in terms of Michael Checker coming back to coach the Wallabies. 
Strange days indeed. I won't get a tip off you. I'll let you sort of marinate over the semi-finals, and uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get one a bit closer to time. Uh, great to chat again, Nick. Glad to hear you well. Uh, enjoy the rugby. Good on you, Jules. Appreciate the chance. Thanks. There is uh, Nick McArdle from Stan Sports.